Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again this week. We hope you are having a very blessed day. Remember to catch us every week here at the same time on your favorite Catholic radio station. If you do miss an episode, just head online. Go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast where you can find all of our past episodes. Make sure to find us on your favorite podcast app as well, and then subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. In today's episodes, we're talking about America in crisis. I know we hear that a lot, but uh, we'll hear one unique perspective on how we can take back our own moral agency through understanding and engaging what's true, what's beautiful, and what's good as a way of revitalizing our communities and our nation. In our mailbag segment, we answer a question about the relationship between our government leaders and church leaders. And of course, we want to leave you some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, we talk about what you can do to continue to build relationships with your elected leaders now that the regular session has come to an end. And listeners, if you ever have an idea for our bricklayer segment or maybe just questions about faith and politics, remember, you can always shoot me an email. The address is show at mncatholic.org. We love to hear from you. You can also leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're now blessed to be joined on the line by author and professor Dr. Todd Harch. Dr. Harch teaches history and world Christianity at Eastern Kentucky University. He earned his doctorate in history from Yale. Interestingly, before being received into the Catholic Church in 2010, he was a Protestant campus minister. He's the author of four books on Christian history, including the award-winning book, The Rebirth of Latin American Christianity. Today, we're speaking with him about his new book, A Time to Build Anew, How to Find the True, Good, and Beautiful in America. Professor Harge, it's great to speak with you today. Welcome to the Bridge Builder Show. It's great to be on the show. Tell us about this new book. Why? What compelled you to write it? Uh, you're, you teach history, and, and, but this, is, this seems more uh, prescriptive as opposed to descriptive. What compelled you to, to dig into this new topic? In the past few years, I've been worried about our country uh, for many reasons that many of your listeners can probably identify. And if I wanted to, I could probably come up with a list of 100 things that are wrong with America and 100 more that are wrong with our church. But I, I realized that that wouldn't be that helpful. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, lists of problems. And I just had the insight that what we need are models. We need models of, of people who are doing something good. And it hit me also that it's not really the time now for tearing down. It's really the time for building up. So why not write a book that deals with the crisis of America, but does it in a more positive way, giving some examples of people and organizations who are building anew, who are doing something good. We always talk about here at Minnesota Catholic Conference, when it comes to our communications, we can't just identify problems. We have to give people practical tools and solutions, and, and we have to ask ourselves, what do we want people to think, feel, and do? But people often don't know what to do, so it sounds like your book is going to fill an important gap. I, I want to jump to that in a moment about models and how we build anew, but a premise of your book is that America is in crisis. How would you describe that crisis in a nutshell? At the heart of it, I think, is a, a moral crisis and a spiritual crisis. I mean, we can look at lots of political symptoms, but I think at heart, um, 
Americans have lost sight of God, and even Christians have lost sight of how to live the life of a Christian. And so your prescription seems to be to re-engage those transcendental properties of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Why have you identified those as a pathway to renewal? I love the, the three transcendentals because everybody can relate to them. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't, you know, want to know the truth and want to do something good and someone who isn't attracted by, by beauty. And so it's, it's something that's absolutely fundamental to all that is. You know, you can devote your life to studying the philosophy of the transcendentals, but it's also something that's at the same time very accessible. You know, people, when, when you talk about the true, the good, and the beautiful, even people who've never read Thomas Aquinas or the Greek philosophers can say, yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. And, and so it's a way to sort of bridge that gap between the, the theoretical and the practical in an accessible way. And those properties of the true, the good, and the beautiful, those are properties of the divinity, the Trinity. And we know it, at the heart of the Trinity is, uh, is creativity. The, the Trinity, the, the Godhead, creates because it loves. And love is fundamentally creative. And it seems that you're proposing that we not just ponder the true, the good, and the beautiful, but be inspired by those properties to engage in a process of creative love in our communities. Yeah, I think a lot of Americans and Westerners in general have become kind of institutionalized, not in the sense of like living in a mental institution or something, but we're we're very uh, sort of stuck in our institutions, and it rarely crosses our minds that that we ourselves could do something. So I, I wanted to give some examples from individuals to organizations that are actually starting from scratch, doing something new. So like there's a, there's a sculptor in here and he made beautiful sculpture. And then there's religious orders and there's uh, educational organizations. They've actually built something. So that's my, that's my idea for America. It's time to build something new not necessarily continue with the same old thing in our same old institutions. So rather than being reactionary and pushing back on things, you're talking about being proactive in creating beautiful art, creating community, fostering family life, creating a family, it seems, is even part of this process. Yeah, all those things are examples. The sky's the limit, really. But I, I, I think what's happened is a lot of Americans are sort of stuck in a rut they're really not sure what to do or how to do it. And so I thought it would be helpful to just provide some examples, to give some, some pictures of people and individuals who, who did know what to do and who took the risk. I think that's part of the problem is it's risky to do this. To build something new is a lot riskier than continuing along with the same old thing. And sometimes you'll fail. And there's at least one of my examples where the they took a big risk and they did something for a decade, and then it was shut down. But in so, the amazing thing about that story is that, that that probably had more fruit than all the others combined. So there's risk, but in God's economy, risk is usually a pretty good investment. We here at the Minnesota Catholic Conference promote the importance of politics, faithful citizenship, citizen engagement, but we also recognize that politics isn't the only thing, and uh, cultural renewal, renewing the social order, 
is not the same thing as being involved in the political landscape, but it still does matter. You reject a political solution to a cultural renewal, political solution as that term is usually understood. What do you propose instead? Yeah, I'm not, I, I should make clear, I'm not rejecting politics, especially local politics, but I am proposing that the, the cultural renewal, the spiritual renewal has to come first. And then as far as the political, that the, I really see the local, especially the, the city, the municipality, as one of the best realms for engagement, just because it's more personal, the stakes are smaller, there's often um, more room for, for compromise and for relation building. Give any examples of people building at the local level and engaged in local politics in your book? Yeah, so I really wanted to have at least one chapter on politics. And so I did a chapter on Mayor Joe Riley of Charleston, South Carolina. And he he's this amazing story because he was elected mayor as a, a fairly young man and then was reelected uh, nine more times. So he served for 40 years. Wow. And uh, he really revitalized Charleston. And he did it really in two areas. He did it in terms of justice, like racial justice, and second, in terms of beauty in the public realm. He focused from day one on racial reconciliation and on making the city beautiful. And, and, and those two things, I think we often don't want to, or we don't often see them as related to each other, but they really are that when you have a, a beautiful city, it's a beautiful city for everyone. And uh, the public realm, especially of a city, is for everybody, rich and poor, black and white, men and women, everybody. And so that's what Riley did. He really focused on um, the public realm in Charleston and transformed it into one of the most popular destinations in the world because he took it seriously. Oh, undoubtedly. It's a, a beautiful place. And, and maybe that guiding principle is order, that justice and reconciliation are about right relationships. Uh, a well-built city is about order, and a good built environment is a right relationship between the people and the physical structure. So maybe there's a, a unifying principle there somewhere at work. Yeah, I think you're right, that that idea of order. And also I, I think a, a key part of it is love, right? So he, he was filled with love. Uh, Joe Riley, the mayor, was filled with love for uh, his citizens, black and white, and he loved the city. He just he loved Charleston. He grew up, you know, he was he became mayor in the 1970s when people were very critical of cities and urban living, mm -hmm. and and the usual solution was either to to leave a city or to try and make the city more suburban. And he just, he loved the city. He, didn't, he wanted it to stay a city. Uh, he just wanted to make it a more just and more beautiful city. Your book seems to underscore the importance that we all have different gifts and therefore different gifts to share and perhaps then different callings in this great rebuilding project that you're proposing. How do we identify what those gifts are and how do we know what we should do? Uh, you know, we're all, most people who aren't in the clerical state are called to have families, but Beyond that, how do we know what our role is to play in this great building project that you're proposing? Well, that's 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 a pretty big question, and it's it's somewhat mysterious. But I think that for for most people, um, they know what they love and they know what they're good at, and so usually, 
I think usually that's our calling is to focus on those things, those areas where we've been gifted and where we have a passion. I mean, I wouldn't make that a rule, though. I mean, I think sometimes God calls us to do very difficult things that we don't like. So I wouldn't want to make that hard and fast. But in in some of the examples that I give here, for instance, there's a chapter about a, a sculptor and he loved beauty at a time when a lot of artists were more about doing something transgressive or pushing the boundaries. Those were some of the big ideas. And he just, he rejected that because he wanted to make something beautiful. And he devoted himself to traditional sculpture because that's what he thought was beautiful. And his name's Frederick Hart, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having an incredible life even though he got almost no attention. So the other thing I'd say is that knowing what to do and what your job is, is not dependent on uh, sort of critical acclaim or whether everybody else thinks it's great or right. Often this thing that is on your heart or that you're called to do might seem odd to people, especially at first, I think often it, it won't even seem logical to people. And so you can't always judge by, you know, are other people doing this? Because a lot of times what we're called to do now as we rebuild is to do something that, that nobody else is doing. We're speaking with Dr. Todd Hart. He teaches history and world Christianity at Eastern Kentucky University, and he is the author of the new book, A Time to Build Anew, How to Find the True, Good, and Beautiful in America. And he's offering some practical tips about what we all can do through those transcendental properties of the true, the good, and the beautiful to rebuild our society in crisis. Dr. Harch, tell us another story or two or another example of of people who are living this model or who are providing a model for cultural renewal in our society in your book. Well, um, one of my chapters is about the Sisters of Life, and they are a religious order that was founded in New York City in the 1980s by Cardinal O'Connor, who was then the Archbishop of New York. And he was totally committed to the uh, fight for life, but he felt like the sort of political struggle was running out of gas, that it, it just it hadn't ended abortion, and he, he felt that there needed to be a new approach. And so after much prayer, he realized that this was a spiritual struggle. You know, sort of that idea that, that you know, this, uh, this demon can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. And so he started a religious order. It's a women's religious order called the Sisters of Life that has now been going on for 30 years or more. And they have homes for pregnant women who have nowhere else to go. They do educational work, counseling work, and many other things like that. And their their ministry has just spread outside of the Archdiocese of New York to a few other places, to Canada. I think now they're in Australia. And it's a way for uh, women who love life to devote their life to prayer and uh, that fight for the unborn. Yeah, they're a beautiful story, and they've helped so many women offering that credible credible pro-life witness to change hearts and minds, not just laws. So the Sisters of Life, uh, really a beautiful example of the type of model that we all need, especially in that pro-life, defensive life from conception to natural death and dignity of the human person. 
the true, the good, and the beautiful. I want to return to this a moment. We are, are struggling and, and divided as a church sometimes over what's true and what's good. We've got a lot of ugly churches and ugly music. Uh, beauty doesn't always seem to be valued. How do we as a church better help people understand and appreciate the true, the good, and the beautiful so that they may go out and be missionary disciples, fostering that in the wider culture? Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a, that's a question that's 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 hard. I think as leaders, both ordained and lay leaders, um, we need to think about these things and talk about them and demonstrate in our own lives that we love the truth, that we love the good, and we love the beautiful. And I really, I I I think it's a mistake for our buildings to be ugly. I think especially in the, the post-Vatican II era, there was a lot of, um, I think it was well-intentioned, either an attempt to, to adapt to a new cultural reality or to save money. But in both cases, I think something was missed. And so I, I, I really think it's important for our churches to be beautiful, for as much as it's possible for our other buildings uh, to be beautiful, to see beauty as something that, that reflects those other two transcendentals, uh, truth and goodness. So I, I would love to see a revival of beautiful churches. And that's one of, one of the chapters in the book is about um, Notre Dame School of Architecture, which is one of the few schools of architecture, which is hard to believe, but one of the few schools of architecture that really values beauty, not strikingness, not transgression, not novelty, but actually beauty. Uh, and there's a, an architect there named Duncan Stroik who is designing some really beautiful churches. Yeah, they're doing amazing stuff at that Notre Dame school. They have Philip Bess, uh, Duncan Stroik, who designed the uh, Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe not far from here in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So we've certainly been blessed by their uh, contributions in the field of good churches. I should have asked this, Dr. Harch, at the beginning of our conversation, but was it the true, the good, and the beautiful that led you to the Catholic Church in the first place? In many ways, it was. I was really looking—I I had, had a good life uh, as a Protestant. Um, I just—I guess I wanted something deeper and uh, more beautiful. And I was uh, was working on a book on a um, social critic named Ivan Illich, and uh, I was intrigued by him. He was a little bit of a, a, a crazy guy, but— there some really good parts about him, too. And I was doing some research at uh, Notre Dame University and was just struck by the the beauty, first of all, uh, but also the truth and goodness uh, that I was finding in the Catholic Church. So to make a very long story short, yes, it was it was truth, goodness, and beauty that, that led me in. And in a way can be an evangelizing fourth, so not just renewing American culture, but bringing people into the uh, the bark of Peter and the Catholic Church. Dr. Harch, where can people go to find this book and more about you and your work? All right. Well, the book is available from Angelico Press uh, and from other booksellers. And um, they can find out more about me on Twitter. I'm at, at Harch T. So my, my last name plus a T. 
Wonderful. We are such such a blessing to speak with you today, Dr. Harch. Dr. Todd Harch teaches history and world Christianity at Eastern Kentucky University, and his book is A Time to Build Anew, How to Find the True, Good, and Beautiful in America, out recently from Angelico Press, a very fine press with some good titles. Dr. Harch, thanks for joining the Bridge Builder program today. It was great. I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. God bless you. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to hear what comments and questions you have been sending our way. Kit, what is in this week's mailbag? This week's question has to deal with the bishop's relationship with state leaders and government leaders. So this spring, our state's bishops and diocesan administrators as well met with our government leaders here in the state. And we wrote about this annual meeting in our Inside the Capitol update, which everyone can find in their local diocesan paper or on our website, mncatholic.org. And that article spurred the question. The question is, our government seems opposed to so much of what the church promotes. And this listener, the reader, wants to know, what good is it then for the bishops to meet with lawmakers? Jason, how might you respond to this? Oh, we, I could talk all day about this topic, Kit. Thanks for sending it. It's an important question. We've heard all kinds of criticism. Uh, you know, the bit that politicians don't really care what the church thinks. They don't really care what bishops think. Or uh, you shouldn't be nonpartisan because at the end of the day, one cause is sacrificed uh, over another. And, you know, either, we, for example, the environment is being harmed. Uh, because we work with Republicans on some issues or immigrants don't have access to a pathway to citizenship or on the other side, babies are dying. There's always some criticism of this, but the church is called to be a faithful witness uh, to the true, the good, and the beautiful, as Dr. Harch mentioned earlier in our conversation. And follow that path of dialogue and engagement to propose to never impose. And we have to trust the Holy Spirit. I think this is the key piece of this is that the Holy Spirit is powerful, and we have to trust and believe that we do have truth on our side, that there is uh, such a thing as human dignity, that you can recognize it, that there is such a thing as the common good, and it needs promoting. And frankly, there are just not that many voices uh, out there in the political landscape who are principled and not partisan. There are very few organizations across the political landscape here in Minnesota that have amicable relationships with leaders in both parties. Now, that doesn't mean we, dis, we agree on everything or we never have disagreements. Uh, we do, in fact, and those are acknowledged and uh, understood. But we can disagree without being disagreeable. And at the end of the day, our goal is to build common ground for the common good. There's a, there's a habit that we have sometimes of falling into looking at politics and issues in a static frame of reference, as though the grooves or the framework in which a current issue is being understood debated uh, or legislated is the way it's going to be now and into the future. Just think of how much the political landscape has changed in this country just in the past five years. Things and positions are being taken by politicians and leaders that were unthinkable for good and bad uh, just even five years ago. So things change radically. We also have to think, too, 
in our own lives, how often we have changed our own positions, our views have matured on particular things, they've deepened in many ways. And that's a path that everyone is on, including our legislators. And so we need to engage them proactively and trust the Holy Spirit to a degree. We're not ultimately going to come to an agreement on every issue, but we have to be principled and not partisan, extend the hand of friendship, reason with them about what we think serves human dignity and the common good. I can tell you from our recent visits between the bishops and our legislative leaders, Governor Walls, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan, that leaders have a new appreciation for different perspectives besides their party line about what serves the community in a time of great polarization of people getting pulled apart radicalism really on all sides of the political spectrum, deep division, deep polarization, and not having ready-made answers to some of our difficult questions. People are looking afresh at different perspectives, and certainly the time-honored and aged old wisdom of the Catholic Church, even if people disagree with it in, on particular issues, there's a recognition across partisan lines that it's principled and it's consistent. And we want to be that place uh, and help legislators get to that place where at some point they're willing to draw the lines and connect the dots between a position on one issue that they agree with and perhaps another on which they disagree. And part of that, again, is trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, working to build common ground for the common good, and ultimately being in friendship and in relationship with our elected officials. That is a voice and a witness and a model that is really needed now and is countercultural. Uh, in doing so, we hope not to just advance good public policy, but we hope to evangelize. We hope to help people meet Jesus Christ. We hope to be and lay the seeds and till the soil so that when the seeds get planted, they fall on fertile ground. And that's really what the work of the church in the public arena is a lot of. It's tilling soil so that people can come down the road and that when a legislator or a person in the community is ready to make that have that existential moment where they decide for Christ, the church is a hospitable place for them, that they know that the church is a place of principle and not mere partisanship, that it promotes human dignity and the common good. So it's just vital and important that the bishops continue to have these conversations in constructive ways with elected officials as a way of modeling for the rest of us, the lay faithful, about what it means to be a faithful citizen, building common ground and for the common good, being a bridge builder, as the title of this show is called. Wonderful. Thanks, Jason. And what do we have in this week's bricklayer segment? I think there's probably some great things out there that people can really start doing to build that bridge, really start tilling the soil. Well, our regular session of the legislature wrapped up on Monday, May 17th. And leading up to the end of the session, our state lawmakers puts in lots of long hours to accomplish their goals. And uh, the work continues at the Capitol. Those goals may not always align with supporting life, dignity, and the common good the way as we Catholics see it. But it's important to note that our public officials, um, most of them are there for the right reasons. They want to do the right thing, and they make extraordinary sacrifices along the ways. There are almost always ways you can find some common ground with your legislators, starting with thanking them for their service and then identifying what those points of common ground are. That's a great way to build a relationship. Everyone hears complaints. Uh, Undoubtedly, we all hear complaints in our life, in our family, in our professional life. But how often are we thanked? How much does that buoy us? How much does that help build a relationship when there are positive words of encouragement along the way? We encourage you to send a message to your legislator this week thanking them for their service to our state and to try to find one idea or area of common ground for which to thank them. 
In our Catholic Advocacy Network Action Center, we have an action alert set up that you can use to get started and links to where you can easily see all the bills that your legislators authored this session. You may be surprised by the vast number and variety of bills which your legislator works on and supports each year. Now, it's not always the big headline issues that get the attention. It's sometimes those issues of small importance to the local community or your legislative district where you will find common ground. Either way, the most important thing, though, is that you take the time to thank them for their service and let them know that you want to be a resource for them. You want to be their friend, not in the sentimental buddy-buddy sense, but in the way of walking together toward the good. The way Aristotle defined it as friendship is two people uh, walking together, uh, accompanying one another toward the good. That's all the time we have for today on the Bridge Builder program. For everyone listening on our podcast app, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes out. Then leave us a five-star rating and click share so that more kicks can begin to build a bridge between faith and public life. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Share your ideas for the Bricklayer segment or send us your questions for the mailbag. You can leave us a comment on the podcast episode, connect with us on social media, or email us at show at mncatholic.org. Remember to take action on our Bricklayer segment through the Catholic Advocacy Network. Again, that can be found at our website, mncatholic.org. Uh, But you can also catch up on past episodes of this podcast through that same website, mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Sapiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening. God bless your day.